so glad you've joined us again for another episode of the Extra Point Podcast. Welcome back, everyone. Today's Tuesday, February the 6th, 2024. And I'm Todd Stiles. I'm joined today by... Uh, my name is Adam Bailey. And he's, I'm, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. You take it, Adam. I'm the uh, pastoral resident here at First Family. And so we're going to bring you some further insight, more observation, maybe deeper application uh, from our text on Sunday. And as you know, last Sunday, we did look continuously at Galatians 5, specifically 22 and 23. Those are the verses. And we're looking for a number of weeks at the fruit of the Spirit, um, understanding that it's more about the Spirit than the fruit. But we did look last week at the first aspect of that fruit, which is love. Scott Helms, one of our pastor elders, he brought about 20 minutes of teaching on that, took some Q&A. We only were able to get to about, oh, what, two or three questions, I think, Adam, in the service. Mm-hmm. And so I want to take the rest of those on this podcast, and I've asked Adam to join me. He's our pastoral resident. He handles currently our live streaming venue upstairs, and then, of course, he's headed to Granger to direct our campus out there and lead that team. And so I just want to have you lean in, Adam, a little bit on some of these questions. I always like being with you and hearing what the Lord, um, kind of how he's working in you and speaking to you on some of these questions. And so I'll take three of these. They're pretty quick at first. I think I mainly want to kind of have a longer chat about this fourth question. And just for the audience's information, we have chatted in advance. I'm not surprising Adam with these. Uh, It's one of the reasons I want to have him on here. I think he has some good insight, especially on this fourth question. So let's kind of break these up, talk about them a bit. Here's the first question. Uh, Are there verses that can help explain to a spouse or even your children why you need to love God more than them. And of course, Scott brought this out in his message. So if you're curious where the question comes from, go back and hear Scott's message. But he's asking maybe for some biblical support for maybe this idea that God's first, if we can say that, other folks are behind Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, what are some of your first thoughts, Adam? And I'll share some as well. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's very obvious, you know, they, they say it was the Shema in the uh, the Hebrew, you know, Jewish nation, right? Like, you're, you love God, like, mm-hmm. Lord the God is, you know, is one. And so, and the greatest commandment is love God and then love people. Um, you know, he didn't say love people first. Greatest commandment is to love God. So to me, that's right away. Like, that's the first and foremost thing. That's That shows priority right away. And that uh, reference would be Deuteronomy 6, I believe, yep. in the Old Testament. I think Scott mentioned that reference yep. in his message, which was Matthew—I mean, the New Testament one. Right. I think, was it, was it Matthew 22? I'm not sure, but it's where Sounds the Pharisee right. asks a question, right? Right. So you're saying those verses in their command form would be helpful. Yep. I think of a couple of other verses as well, um, when they ask about why— you know, Jesus did say in Matthew, I believe it's chapter 10, if anyone loves father or mother more than mm-hmm. me, um, talks about how they're, they're not worthy of me. Um, um, I think the sense of that is um, idolatry is creeping in. So I, I wouldn't want to be an idolater. I don't think I want my wife to be an idolater. So that verse seems to say there is a, can I use the vernacular pecking order? Mm-hmm. <laughs> not to lower God anyway, but... Yeah, there's a there's biblical commands in Matthew 10 that we are to love God more than our human relationships. Um, there's also that parable, I think it is, where he says that uh, he sent someone out to invite, and one guy said, "Hey, I bought some ox." In other words, his work. Mm-hmm. Another person said, "I married a wife, so his home." There was one more in there too. But in the end of the day, this is a striking end of that parable. He. The servant comes back, tells the owner that. The owner says, go down to the highway and hedges and compel others to come in. 
at the end of that parable, though, he actually says that those won't be at the banquet at all. So I would be willing to say this, that a continued love of something other than God probably reveals either a temporary idolatrous heart Mm -hmm. or an unbelieving heart altogether. That's a pretty serious thing, isn't it? Yeah. No, for sure. And I think at the end of the day, for those of us who are married, we are only going to be married here on earth. Mm. And so we're preparing right now for eternity where God is at the focal point of everything. And so it should be, you know, as heaven, as on earth as well. Question number two, in our ever-changing world, how do you love others without condoning things that they're doing that are wrong? And she also asked, this person asked, uh, what's a Bible verse you'd suggest for this? So I love it when our people really want to get some you know, foundational reasoning for maybe answers. So yeah, take a shot at this, Adam, would you? Yeah, I mean, there's no better place to look than how to both um, interact with society and also be holy, which Jesus does perfectly in both categories. Mm, amen. And so I'm going to a place like John 4, when Jesus approaches you know, the Samaritan woman. He does not hide away from the fact that she was in a um, an adult, not really an adulteress, but a sinful situation. Uh, she has adultery in her past. He doesn't shy away from it, points it out, but also leans in. You know, it would have been um, uncustomary for him to even approach her, and yet he approaches her in love, in grace, not skirting away from holiness, leaning in and saying, "I've called you to something greater." So I think that's a great place to start to say. And how am I going to engage with my friend who is struggling with this or with that is you can do both and just look at the, the life of Jesus to, to hone in on that. Mm-hmm. Paul said in Philippians 2 that we are to live as lights among the world, and then he calls the world crooked and depraved generation. So he understood there was this, like you said, tension between uh, you know being in it but not of it. I think Jesus used those words as well. Here's a phrase that has helped me. Um, and I don't want to get too much in the weeds here, but I think we have to answer this question individually um, and even situationally. And let's just be honest and admit that there probably is some situational aspects to this question. But I, I like this. It helps me a lot is, does my presence send the message of approval? Mm. And so if I think the end of the, the end of that answer is yes, I probably would say then you probably shouldn't participate. But if your presence doesn't send the message of approval, you've got some room there, right? Right. So let's say Jesus, when uh, he—let's take Jesus, for example. He ate with the publicans and tax collectors and sinners. That's kind of the phrase in the New Testament. But no doubt, uh, you know, he was accused of things in that moment, but he wasn't participating, and his presence didn't send the message of approval. There are other times I think um, maybe it would have. Like, I think about the temple. Mm -hmm. If he would have gone into the temple when they were misusing God's house and acted like that was no big deal— they might have thought, well, Jesus must approve of this, and so he drove them out. Now, there's a lot more to that than that, but I wonder if that's not maybe a simple example. Yep. So let's just help our church hear this, that maybe wrestle with this question in your situations. Is your presence going to send the message of approval? Uh, here's the third question real quick. Uh, I have a friend that doesn't believe in religion of any kind. I'm still trying to help share the gospel and uh, I, I think this tone of the question helped him believe, so to speak, but he is still sinning and refusing Christ. So the question is this, do I stay his friend and keep trying, or do I leave it in God's hands? I'm not sure if that means he unfriends him. I'm not sure what the phrase leave it in God's hands mm-hmm. means, but let's just take it that he's meaning, mm-hmm. does he separate from him to a degree? 
Maybe some thoughts. Yeah. I think at the end of the day, this is a case-by-case situation, but it reminds me of a situation I had probably four years ago where I sat down with a coffee with a guy. He was starting to be a pretty good friend at that point and just confessed, like, I'm sinning, and I know about it, and I know the Bible says otherwise. And I was like, okay, well, at least you know. And so then I'm like, okay, how do I engage with you now? You know it's a sin. You're not willing to give it up. And so that just prompted just a series of conversations, walks with that gentleman, and eventually God closes the door with that relationship. And so I think that's the model, is you do both. You love as long as it depends on you. I love that passage, that verse, live peaceably with one another as long as it depends on you. Like, you just be the peacemaker, you be the one who's sharing the gospel, and God will make it very clear whether or not he is going to continue with that relationship for every time in a season we have relationships. So I say you got to do both. You don't need to worry about whether you close it or whether they'll close it. I think God will make it very obvious. And if that relationship is still open, even if you're not sharing the gospel, when the Holy Spirit convicts and illuminates their mind, if you're there, then when they ask or they're like, hey, I'm in a crisis, you can then have an open door, right? Mm-hmm. As opposed to shutting down the whole relationship. Maybe what you're saying is maybe shut down the amount of conversation you have about the gospel. Yeah, I mean, it's all, it's always just going to depend, right? Like, and there's always a, a place you get to if you're like, this isn't working. Like, I keep talking about the same stuff and you see no change. Mm-hmm. So yeah. there's no problem in putting parameters around someone's relationship or even just saying, hey, this is where we disagree. And so you can almost put it in their court a little bit of like, hey, I'm going to continue to preach this to you. And if you're not going to like it, then at some point we're going to have to not agree to disagree, but... It is kind of one of those, does it make sense? Yeah, it feels weird to even say that you're not sharing the gospel with them, but yeah. I do think there are moments in which the parameters should be set that, hey, the more I keep pressing in with this and you're saying, hey, not right now, that could probably do long-term damage in the Good. sense that relationally, I'd rather just re- remain friends knowing that the gospel's in my back pocket, and then when the moment's right, be willing to kind of strike, so to speak, like you're saying. Mm-hmm. I think we're, we're sensing the same thing. And let's just be honest, we don't have answers for this perfectly. These are situational. Uh, By no means would we say don't share the gospel. But uh, I will say this in defense of that mentality, uh, Jesus did say if you go to a town and they're unreceptive, Mm -hmm. you know, like uh, shake the dust off your shoes, right? So what did he mean by that? I guess there is a point in which time you can't just keep talking to the wall, right, so to speak. And so I would say try to keep the relationship. I think that's what Adam's saying too. But maybe watch the conversation. Don't force or press and then ruin both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. Um, well, let's get to the fourth question. I think it's the one I really want to hone in for a little bit. Um, I think this is a, a very insightful question. It does come from the message. And so uh, this question is really simple. This person just asks, how do we avoid a sense of try harder, do better? And those four words were in air quotes. Let me say it to you again. The question is, how do we avoid a sense of quote, try harder, do better, end quote. And I think he's referring to this, uh, to when Scott was saying, the answer to our fear or our suffering or these different scenarios is to love God more. So he must have heard that in a way that perhaps we just got to work harder and do better. Let me begin this one. I want Adam to lean in with some of the thoughts too. I, um, I talked with Scott about this even before um, the second service yesterday. Um, there wasn't a sense in which he was meaning amount, mm-hmm. like we're not trying to measure amount. So I would say to the question in very succinct fashion, nothing in our hearts trying to get you to do better, like you can make up lost ground or you can manufacture something apart from the Spirit. In fact, I shared with uh, another person later that day, 
Often it's hard to think about loving God more if you only think in amount. Because you'll go to work, a man will go to work 8, 10, 12 hours a day. He won't necessarily be in church that long, right? Or he won't be in his devotions that long. You could even take his family. He won't be with his family as much as at work for certain seasons of his Mm -hmm. life. But he loves his family more, and a lot of men love God more. And yet, if you take amount only, you're never going to win that equation. So you have to, I believe, when you think about loving God more, you think about position or priority. And Scott mentioned about, you know, God being first or central. And so I want to just encourage this listener uh, there's no sense in which we're trying to add up amounts. I think it's just a way to say, let's make sure God's first or He's central, that He's not getting leftovers either. So when I shared that with you earlier, I thought you brought some really good—can um, I use the word? I don't want to say rebuttal. <laughs> That's no, not what I'm yeah, trying to say, no, but no. I thought you brought yeah. some other—some um, counter sure. viewpoints that maybe we're afraid to hear, but yeah. I think are very helpful. Yeah, I, I think at the end of the day— like the Bible is not going to shy away from truth, whether that's, hey, go and do this, or a, hey, this is who you are. And so to put it in a very simple term, we wrestle with the idea of legalism. And that word is so thrown out, especially in my generation. We, the millennial generation just does not want to be viewed as legalists. Like, don't put that on me. That's not, you know, can't tell me what to do type of mentality. I don't know where we got that. Maybe it's from our parents. I don't know. Uh, but it, it's one of those things of, we don't want to be a legalist, so we're going to shy away from actual obedience. And I think that's a massive danger, not only because the you know it, it will lead to a lifestyle of sin, but it's also contrary to what the Bible says. So here's how I kind of think about legalism. Legalism is when you make the imperatives more important than the indicatives. Like when you're making the commands, everything about the commands, and you're living your life for, I got to do it this way, and I've got to do it in this way, you become a Pharisee. But when you make those indicative statements of God loves you, so therefore I go out and do this, that's, that's correct obedience. And so a passage that I've been you know, kind of just thinking about with this conversation is 1 Peter 1.15, where it says, very simply, it gives you both, be holy, why? For God is holy. And so you have a tension right there. You have a, a simple imperative of be holy and a because God is holy. And so I think we wrestle with this idea of, like, how do I, like, not get into this, like, just chug it out and grit it out mentality of just obey, 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 and I'm just focusing on all the do's and the don'ts? Like, how do we just focus on that, or how do we balance the two? And I think you balance the two by saying, my position in Christ is what fuels my obedience to Christ. That's the easiest way that I can make it, but it's not going to skirt away from, I need to actually go out and obey. Mm, That's true. And in this case, to love others right, or to love God, and as God said, more. So um, let's have a play on words here. I think sure. this idea of more can sometimes, and I'm going to say your generation, maybe mine too, but there is a sense in which that word more does kind of rub people the wrong way. Uh, you use the word legalism. I think sometimes we hear moralism in mm-hmm. this idea of try you know, harder, do yep. better. And we, we don't think morally we can— manufacture any kind of earning or right. position. You're right. And I love how you put that. Our position is should feed our you know, obedience. But let's not assume that anything that calls—here's what I hear you saying. Let's not assume that anything that calls for additional moral action is always moralism. Right. I think you used in our conversation earlier about mm-hmm. this idea of you're preaching this week up in Collins, and you're going to yep. talk about holiness. Yeah, one of the points that I want to stress, you know, is is this idea of, like, 
God calls us to walk in holiness. Like there's no, you you can't argue that, that that is a very biblical command to walk in righteousness. Mm-hmm. But the Bible also very much teaches that we walk in Christ's righteousness. And so that's, it's again, it's that thing of like, I don't want to skirt away from saying I, I, we need to pursue holiness. And I think the more attitude is at the end of the day, like I'm a sinful, imperfect being. I can love God more than I currently am. Now, God cannot love me any more than he currently does because he's perfect and he is, he's God. But there's always an element of my life that can do more in this sense. Now, like I said, we don't want to get into the, let's just grit it out. You can always, you know, as your coaches would say, let's go out and give 120% today. It's like, (laughs) as pastors, we're not your coaches say, get out there and give 120%. But we are saying is, what is the area of your life that maybe does require a little bit more? And I use the analogy of just marriage and like I can love my wife better today than I did yesterday. That doesn't mean like my love for her, you know, is necessarily increasing more. But like I think, would you say this, Todd, that you've grown in your love towards to your wife over the last how many years of marriage? Yeah, over the last six months. Yeah, and I think neither of us would say that that comes from a bad source. Mm-hmm. That, that we want to do something more. Right. So yeah, what I love about your answer this morning, and why I wanted to have you on the podcast, I think it was refreshing for me to hear. Uh, someone kind of challenge, and I don't mean we're challenging this person asked the question, but sure. challenge the concept that if ever we call for more, we must mean something negative. Yeah. And man, that's not what that's not the heartbeat of our church. Right. We don't think we can manufacture anything that has worth or standing to God. But when God fuels us, when His Spirit leads us, as you said, when our position is clearly understood, it does do something to us, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, and I love what you said. It yeah. It might actually call more from you. Right. And we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit, too, as the Spirit works in us, right? Like, it's it's not us who's producing it. So, like, honestly, that's why, that's why Paul even says in Romans, boasting is excluded here. So even if, like, we end up doing more, it's not us doing more. It's actually Christ doing more in us, and so that excludes the boasting. So I just think our American idea is we just, we don't, we want to skirt around the idea of of action. You can't tell me to do it this way. You can't tell me to do it that way. But at the end of the day, like, God's calling us to a to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. That's mm. what Ephesians chapter 4 says. And that calling is glorious. That calling is great. And I want to get after that calling as much as possible. And now I got to check my heart because I am a I'm a doer. And so I can get very legalistic, very moralistic mm. in that terms and very pharisaical and judging my life based on the imperatives. And so what as just as a, you know, pastoral word of I would say this is like I needed to focus more on Adam's a child of God. First and foremost, before Adam is a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Like, I am a child of God first, and that fuels my servanthood of Him. And I think that has just changed the ballgame for me. It made me, like, taste the sweetness of the gospel more, so that, like, when I am loving God more, it comes from a place not of of earning, not of getting the badge, if you will, but it's it's putting a smile on my Savior's face. Like, that... You see what I'm saying? It just it's made do. the sweetness of it even better, in my opinion. And that's what I found so refreshing is not to necessarily have a binary only view, mm-hmm. but to hear you lean in this one. I thought, yeah. let's get that on the podcast. Yeah. And so, Adam, I think your last paragraph there will suffice sufficiently for the answer to the question, how do we avoid a sense of try harder, do better? Hey, thanks for leaning in with some good pastoral wisdom. And uh, thanks for listening. I appreciate that. Adam, appreciate it so much. Yeah, and uh, these are four questions that we didn't get to Sunday, but we answered them on the podcast. Hope to see you again next week as we continue in our walk through Galatians 5, 22, and 23. Thanks for listening to the Extra Point Podcast. To find more content and resources to grow deeper in your relationship with Jesus, 
go online to firstfamily.church resources.